You are listening to The Partner Podcast, relevant information to enhance the careers and improve the lives of partner-level attorneys. Produced by The Attorney Search Group, we grow law firms and accelerate attorney careers. Visit us on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. Today's topic is the importance of developing a lifelong learning mindset, and our guest is Julie Staple. Julie is a partner in Morgan Lewis, and through her unique life experiences, will give us ideas on how to stay on the cutting edge when it comes to learning. So I've got with me on the show today, Julie Staple, and as many of our listeners know, we have interesting people on here. And Julie is an interesting person. She's got a very unique background. And the topic today is talking about the importance of a lifelong learning mindset. Julie, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thank you for having me. So tell me, why is this an important topic to you? Why did you choose this topic? Well, it's probably always been an important topic to me in in one way or another. But an experience I got to have in 2015 definitely crystallized for me just how much uh, it is important to me to, to keep learning and always have something new to learn. And in 2015, I got the experience, the opportunity to do one of my truly bucket list things at what I hope is a relatively young age. And that is I got to appear on the game show Jeopardy. I'd been trying to get on Jeopardy um, for a long time. I watched it my entire childhood uh, with my mother. It would be on when I got home from school. I tried out for the first time in 1992, I believe. Um, what back before, well, you know, that was back before uh, Al Gore invented the internet or whoever <laughs> invented the internet. Um, and so we all went to a big hotel ballroom to take the test on a piece of paper and and then you were told whether you made it or not and um, needless to say I didn't make it in, in 1992 but fast forward 23 years later or so and I did make it in 2015 and this was really just an, it was an amazing experience and what I found is, you know, so so I'm a lawyer. I'm fairly type A. I'm a, I'm a definitely a. Back in law school in the mid '90s, the phrase was gunner. I don't know if if law students still use that phrase. I should ask a summer associate, but I was a gunner, right? Somebody always trying to do the best, always trying to be the best prepared, have the best, you know, that's the kind of person I, I was and am. So I threw myself into it. I had the most astonishing, I called it my Jeopardy box. <laughs> and it had, it had flashcards, it had books, and, and, and it had, I found the very best books to use for this were reference books intended for children. Um, what's the best way to study for Jeopardy? Because they're not asking you anything. They're asking you the basics, right? So I had this box, and, and in the months leading up from when I found out I had an audition to when I ultimately was on the show, I, I walked around with my box, and I, and I studied, and I crammed, and I learned. I got everyone involved, my niece, my nephew, my son, my daughter, everybody was helping. And then it comes time to go to California and tape the show. And since there's obviously no suspense to be had here since it aired almost four years ago, I, did, I didn't win. Um, I came in. And I came in second to a wonderful woman uh, named Nikki Grillos, and I, I was very happy with how I did. I was very proud of how I did. But then what I realized as we were leaving the studio is I was really sad. And then I realized I'm not sad because I'm lost, because I lost. I'm sad because I loved that, right? I, I loved that process of, of learning in a systematic way. 
And so when I realized, gosh, I really did love that, it sort of caused me to take a step back and look at my life and decide what other areas can I, you know, how else can I pursue this? What what can I do to really make, you know, I don't need to sit on the train and study maps of Africa like I did mm-hmm. and probably look like I was plotting something. <laughs> but there were other ways. There were other things I could do. And that was an experience of about four years ago that really kind of has set me on a path to being more intentional and more, I don't know, organized, I guess, about, you know, learning new things and and staying interested in things. I think it also kind of dovetailed with a time in my career. So I've been practicing, I guess, for, well, I clerked. So 20, I guess I've been practicing for 22 years. Um, mm-hmm. the entire time in um, ERISA and employee benefits. And while ERISA is certainly a challenging and and um, frequently changing field, like many areas of the law, there does come a point where you sort of feel like, what is there left to learn, right? right. Especially as you get more senior and the what I think the fun work of digging in on a topic and researching and writing gets to go to junior people because that's not efficient. I, I said to a colleague yesterday, what I wouldn't give right now just to write a memo, you know, just, mm. to, just to dig in and research and conceive of it. And it's just so not what my practice entails now, you know, nowadays. So I was at a point in my career where I'm like, well, I'm not necessarily going to get this feeling from work um, anymore because I have seen a lot of things and, and sure. uh, I kind of know a lot of things. And so what are other ways that I can that I can get it. That's a good I, question. That's a yeah, really good question. Yeah. So for me, I'm going to preface this next um, statement with the fact that I am probably one of the biggest social media skeptics that I know. I don't do much with it. What do you mean by that exactly? Well, you know, I, I have, I had a Facebook account, but maybe I'd, I'd touched it maybe twice in 10 years or something like that. A friend tells a hilarious story where one year on my birthday, I thanked her for wishing me happy birthday. And she messaged me back and she goes, well, you're welcome. But that was three years ago. (laughs) (laughs) That gives you some sense of my level of engagement uh, with Facebook. But after being on Jeopardy, you know, that was the way to sort of stay in touch with the people that you met through the process. And I, I happened to be there on a tape day with just really awesome people, great folks who I, who I wanted to stay in touch with. And that is the modern way of, of um, staying in touch with people. So I, I kind of got a little bit more active, a little bit more engaged with Facebook in order to, to stay in touch with these folks. That led to a, you know, kind of a networking effort among, there's a, there's a special Facebook page for women of Jeopardy, uh, women who have been on Jeopardy. It would probably shock you and your listeners to know that some women who go on Jeopardy face a significant amount of online harassment and um, just really bad behavior. And so this Facebook page was sort of formed as a way for people to sort of share those experiences. You know, as a middle-aged ERISA lawyer, mother of two who could stand to lose some weight, I wasn't necessarily in the crosshairs the way some people um, have been, but still the fact that that happens at all was um, surprising to me. Well, well, let me ask you, with this experience at Jeopardy, yeah. I liked what you said, where you found that there is a certain feeling. And if you think about what motivates us to do things in life, most yep. of the time, there's an emotional context associated with that. 
And how did you chase that feeling? In other ways, what were some action steps you took that you think other partners listening can take to get that feeling, that rush of learning something new? Yeah. Well, I've gone down a somewhat specific path with it that's probably not for everybody. But through the people I met um, through Jeopardy, I now play on a weekly bar trivia team. Uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're quite competitive. Our name is Third Podium because all of us on the team all stood at the third podium uh, <laughs> on the Jeopardy stage as that. it just as it so happens. So I do that. Um, That's not for everybody. So the other kinds of things that I've found to be very helpful to me is I'm an avid reader. And because, like I said, I'm kind of a kind of an obsessive sort. Another a fun way I think of approaching reading, because otherwise, if if you just say to someone, well, maybe you should read, you know, it's, it's not there's a lot of things you can read. What I enjoy doing is I like to look at different kinds of sort of curated book lists. So there's a prize in England called the Booker Prize that's awarded every year. And and I think there's maybe like 14 or 16 books or something like that that go on the um, what's called the Booker Long List. So each year I read those. You know, maybe if, if you're if that's not your interest, if your interest is more in the nonfiction than the, you know, the National Book Award finalists for nonfiction is always a good list to work from, too. So I think you can kind of read in an organized way. I know a lot of people get a good deal of satisfaction out of book groups. I haven't had as good experience with that, but I think I think book groups are a very good way for busy adult professionals to um, to re-engage with lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. And I, I do think it's someone told me once, and I don't know if I believed it at the time, but when I was younger, someone told me once, it gets so hard to make friends as you get older. You know, it's hard to make friends as an adult. And I think there is something to that, right? I think once you kind of get through your formative stages of your life, your opportunities to make friends become fewer. Right. Because you you kind of start to not have that sort of shared experience with a group of people. You know, like like the way you became friends with all the people who started at your firm the same year as you did. And I I, I count among some of my very best friends the people who started at Arnold and Porter in Washington, D.C. in 1997 alongside me. So I think that having a a learning-oriented activity is a way to to both keep yourself active in terms of lifelong learning, but also a, a potential way to make friends in adulthood. And I've found that to be a very gratifying thing to have done. I think that's great. And I've actually got two points that I thought of as you're talking about that. I've seen this a lot with a lot of the partners that I talk to is that some of them enjoy teaching. They'll be an adjunct professor at a law school just to kind of roll the sleeves up and get their their hands dirty into studying law and teaching it. And then secondly, I like what you said about an activity, something I did about probably about four or five months ago. I do stand-up comedy as a hobby, and I thought, if I'm going to do this, I want to get better at that. I used to do a lot of professional speaking when I had a training company years ago, and I like that. And so this was a a four-week class every Sunday for three hours. We met in the DC Improv, and we had our instructor, who is a professional comedian, And then we did our show, which was actually a real show. Each of us had a five-minute set. There were about 150 people there, Julie. And then at the end, the prize was that we didn't know this. The instructor, who was the MC, said, ladies and gentlemen, 
put your phones down. No recording from this point on because Rob Schneider's in the house. And, <laughs> and then he came and he did a 20 minute, 25 minute set at the very end. So we got to meet Rob Schneider. And from that experience, we still connect with each other. We still yeah. go to open mic nights in DC and I'm never going to, I don't expect myself to get a theater named after me in Las Vegas. I just know that's probably not going to happen, but it was something that I got to learn. Why is something funny? And mm -hmm. I, the structure of why things are funny, it kind of challenged that part of my brain to have to go and be creative. And it bonded me with people that were going through that same experience. So I think that's a great idea. How do you think a law firm or a group of partners could do something like this collectively? Any ideas that you would have about how they can kind of form their own sort of team and do something along those lines? Sure. Yeah. I love that, by the way. I, I like comedy as well. I've studied at Second City at various points oh, you know, <laughs> here in my tenure in Chicago. And I think that I will answer your question, I promise. But one of the things I wanted to talk about first was that I think that the skills that make a good lawyer are frequently the skills that make a good comedian. And I, I found that when I studied at Second City, and I found it as well. So I, I will answer your question, I promise. We can skip ahead a little bit in my timeline and go. So long story short, I ended up on another game show. I was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire uh, oh, wow. this, this past April. I was on it. And by the way, it got canceled. So you can either decide that I tanked the show or that I was so exquisite. They said, no more show. <laughs> so what I found coming out of that was so many people watched it and came back to me and said, you were just so poised. How did you stay so poised with TV cameras running? And I think the answer was, well, you know, every day I come to work and I do things that affect hundreds of millions of dollars. And if I mess something up, it could cost somebody hundreds of millions of dollars. So standing there playing a game show, there was no consequence, right? I was either going to win, you know, I, I was going to win some money or I wasn't. That was all there was to it. So I like that. I think as lawyers, we have the skills that let us do some of those other things. And they're sort of using parallel strengths and parallel skills. Now, back to your question of what, what can partners get together and, and do on this front? Well, you know, again, I'm partial to, to trivia. So just this past, I guess it was Tuesday, night before last, I took our summer associates and a group of other lawyers to the place where I play bar trivia every week. Mm -hmm. And um, we played. Two, two Morgan Lewis teams pitted against one another. Our name was Ruth Bader Quizberg, and we won. <laughs> um, so, um, I'd love to see more of that, but I also wanted another initiative I've really enjoyed here at Morgan Lewis that we've done is um, I'm involved in our women's group and um, the women's coalition at Morgan Lewis meets office by off, you know, kind of has office by office activities and our group meets monthly and we alternate back and forth between the partners and the associates being responsible for the agenda. And what we've called it is book group is too ambitious. No, nobody can read a whole book or commit to it. So instead, we've had something we call article club, right? So when it's your turn to organize it, you find a good article, circulate it to the group, and then we have a discussion about it. And that has worked extremely well. I think that having kind of organized reading like that and something for everybody to read the same thing and talk about it has really improved the quality of that group and the quality of those meetings. So I think you can, you can certainly do things like that. 
you know, but there's there's kind of no substitute, I think, to just sort of spending time with each other and hearing about other people's interests and other people's experiences. And, um, and you know, that's something I, I certainly enjoy the opportunity to do as well. Is there any way this could be parlayed into any sort of client development opportunity? Anything that you've thought of related to those lines? Or is it just personal satisfaction that's the goal? Well, that, that's an interesting question. So I've always... Maybe you've gathered this, but I sort of have an easy time talking to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I enjoy talking to people. I, I tend to not have much of a filter in terms of what I think something you know someone might want to know about me. So I, I tend to be a pretty open book. And what's great about that from a client development perspective is if you're pretty open about that, you never know the points of contact you're going to find with mm-hmm. with your clients and your prospective clients. Right. One of my favorite moments ever with a client was, um, turned out, we, we both found out that we do um, triathlons. Now, my client does them a lot better than me, but we were doing the same triathlon, the Chicago one, which is the biggest one in the country. So we were there, you know, and I texted her where I was hanging out and, and she came over and found my little encampment and, and we hung out together and, you know, ate our snacks and got ready for the race. And then it was time to, you know, get ready to go and getting cold, cold Lake Michigan. So we were, we were getting our wetsuits on and so forth. And, and, you know, the, and then she turns to me and she's like, can you just pull this wetsuit really, really hard? <laughs> and I thought, okay, well, how did I go from somebody who, you know, I was kind of hoping to get work from maybe someday and kind of knew her and just happened to bring up that I do triathlons and she said she did too. And, and so it was two weeks from that conversation to, can you pull really hard on my wetsuit? Um, <laughs> which is something no client has ever asked me, <laughs> but, you know, be- before or since. Um, so I, I just think that kind of that, that being open is one of the best things you can do just as a person and from a client development perspective because there's no way you're you're going to know what you don't know about somebody if you're not sort of open about yourself my husband in fact a lot of times he'll ask me he said well how did that come up and i'll have to go oh yeah i don't remember (laughs) whatever zigzagging path took us there there we were so what's kind of next on your horizon in terms of other topics of interest that you hope to take on? Wow. This has been a big decision of mine. I think I'm going to do it. So I'm I'm an opera aficionado. For most of my life, I just listened to opera by myself. I didn't really have the means or the opportunity to go see a lot of opera. Uh, in the past 10, 15 years, I've, I've gone to more opera. And this year, the Chicago, uh, the Lyric Opera of Chicago is putting on Wagner's entire ring cycle over a four. Oh, it's, it's like, it's over the course of four days. And I think, you know, the average length of the performance is anywhere from, you know, four to six or seven hours. (laughs) And so you can buy this ring cycle pass, right? And you go to, you go to all four of them in a single week. I think you go like two nights and then you get a day off and then you go two nights. They have like stretch and, breaks in between and all that. Yeah. And meal catered, little box meals because you have to eat. So I think I'm going to do it. Um, well, my husband great. is not. He's made that very clear. So this will be on my own. But there's something about that that just satisfies my completest instinct about things. Like I love doing all of something. So that's, I think that's my next one. They just sent me the flyer in the mail. It's, it's next April. And I think I might just do it. 
You know, something you mentioned, it reminded a thought I was thinking about the other day of a major inflection point in my life of development and how easy it is to start something and how hard it is to complete something. And so I would focus on becoming a good finisher. If I started a book, I would finish it before yeah. I picked up the next one instead of reading four books at the same time, but I never finish. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's great. I like that idea of here's your next thing you're going to complete. I like having that end goal in mind as you start something. Otherwise, you're somebody with a quilt of a life that never has any finished edges on it. Yeah. So that's great. So what, what other recommendations or advice would you give to partners listening if there's any other action steps that you think they would benefit from hearing? What would those be to help them in their life of lifelong learning? Well, I guess another life kind of stage we just went through is we um, we just became empty nesters last fall. So we have two children and the youngest um, left for college last fall. Great. And so I would recommend taking... Now, granted, if you'd talked to me last September when I could do nothing but cry about it, you'd you know, tell me I'm being a hypocrite. But right. I have come to learn <laughs> that I think it's a nice op- it's a nice life pivot point that life's giving you anyway. And and it's a chance to sort of re you know, retake stock of where you are professionally, where you are personally. And if there is something you've wanted to try, maybe it's a language class, maybe it's a new uh, exercise goal, you know, it just seems like a really good time to do it to me. Yeah. You know, now, now that I'm about a year into it and looking back on it, I'm, I'm trying to be focused on sort of what are the positives of this and what does it open up uh, to you? So for those partners who are sort of maybe my vintage roughly, who might also be having you know, that happened mm-hmm. to them. That would be one thing I would suggest. And then I, I think the other is, is, and I know it's hard because we're all busy. I get that. It's, it can be very hard. But I think that if you, if you don't really fiercely carve out some time for something that's not work, even if it's just one thing, and there's certainly have been periods in my work where I can barely manage that one thing that's not work. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's so essential to staying a sort of engaged and multifaceted person and not just being a lawyer. Right. Well, that's great advice, Julie. I really enjoy hearing you talk about these things. Do you have any other plans for any of the game shows? No, somebody needs to invent a good one. I, I'm I'm kind of done, I think, with yeah. what they with <laughs> what they have. Um, you know, there's been many calls for the price is right, except I'd be a complete disaster because I don't know what anything costs. <laughs> you don't know how much but, the carton of eggs costs? No, that's not happening. That's not right. happening. But um, <laughs> hopefully, who knows? There actually, I've heard I've heard whispers about various things that may be in um in development, and um, I would never say never. Well, this is great, Julie. Thank you so much for being on the show. And and if people wanted to reach out to you, I'm sure they can find you on the Morgan Lewis website. And uh, absolutely, I'm on I'm on Twitter now that I'm in. You know, I'm such a social media person now. I am on Twitter at at Julie Staple, which I try to tweet out developments here at uh, at Morgan Lewis. Also on LinkedIn at Julie Staple, and that's Staple S T A P E L, so not like the office supply, but E L. Um, and yeah, I'd love to hear any thoughts or feedback and I'd love to hear anybody else's, um, life project or life, um, life challenge. That sounds great, Julie. We'll put your bio link, your LinkedIn, and also your Twitter handle on the show notes so people can go there directly and connect with you. Great. Thank you for having me, Scott. This was fun. Great. Thank you so much. You've got a great story and I'm sure that people got some value by listening to you talk about this. Thank you, Julie. Great. Thanks again. Bye-bye. 
Thanks for joining me. And if you have ideas or recommendations for this podcast, please email me at scott at attorneysearchgroup.com. For more information about the Attorney Search Group and the services I offer as a sports agent for partners who want to find a better platform, visit me on the web at attorneysearchgroup.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.